Lights, Camera, Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema. Hello and welcome to Lights, Camera, Asia. I'm Jake Chen. In the last several weeks, we've been talking about Lost in Translation. It is one of my favorite films, and it is what I think a soulful, soft-spoken tale of two Americans at different stages of their lives who form an unlikely bond when they meet in Japan. Now we've already gone through the film's story, and we haven't analyzed the two main characters and how being in a foreign land further accentuates the challenges that they already face in their own lives. These challenges range from loneliness and a lack of communication between them and the people in their close proximity, such as families, friends, and others. But despite having said already much about the film. I think one main motif or recurring element of the film still hasn't been addressed. Then we simply need to ask ourselves one simple question to point our attention to that motif. The question is pretty simple: If the director needs to tell a story of two strangers meeting in unlikely circumstances, why is the film set in Tokyo, Japan? I mean, surely the director could have directed a film in which two Americans bump into each other in America, and that would be good enough of a premise to drive the story forward, just like many films have done in the past. Not to mention, producing a film this way would be economically a lot more viable than moving an entire team of production members all the way to Tokyo, Japan, right? I think the director Sofia Coppola, who incidentally was nominated for an Oscar for her outstanding direction of this film, has a much bigger ambition than just telling a romantic tale. Sure, Lost in Translation is an awfully, awfully loving and touching movie, but its backdrop is equally as important as the two main characters that live in front of it, if not more. Remember that we said on multiple occasions during the last two shows that one of the major reasons why the two protagonists, Charlotte and Bob Harris, often feel alone even in their own marriage. Well, a major reason behind that is that they don't feel connected to their partners, and that they find themselves not having a lot of things to talk about, and their partners seldom are interested in listening. What we didn't explore is this question: So, what do their partners focus their attention on? We will start this time with Bob Harris, the middle-aged American actor. Unlike Charlotte's husband, who actually is present here in Tokyo, Japan, with her, Bob's wife Lydia stays in America while he's in Tokyo to endorse a local whiskey brand. We see Bob receiving facts. And a few sporadic phone calls from her, and this is something that Bob and us, the audience, gradually get used to during the course of the film. This is the only presence that Bob's wife Lydia has made in the film. Now, 
let's think about this for a second and from a cinematic point of view. When two characters in a movie are physically apart from one another, inhabiting different spaces, we as the audience still often get to see both of them on screen when they communicate. Movies often cut between the two people from one scene to the next, or sometimes the two people even appear on the screen at the same time in the form of a split screen. So what we're seeing is a deliberate choice on the director's part, and because of this, Bob's wife only makes presence with her voices or with wording in the faxes that she sent to Bob. The implication behind it, I think, is pretty clear. Bob's wife simply does not have much significance in his life at this stage of his career. Throughout the film, Bob let it slip a number of times. When he meets Charlotte for the first time in the bar downstairs at the hotel they were staying, Charlotte asks him about his business in Japan. Bob says in return that he's in Tokyo to endorse a local whiskey brand for two million US dollars, and half jokingly, he said he's here to get a break from his wife. Later on in the film, when the two are having a heart-to-heart, Charlotte asks Bob about his marriage. Bob gives her a very short and honest answer. He says, and I quote, We used to have fun. She used to come to the movies. But now she's busy with the kids, and the kids don't often need me there. Notice how Bob says, We used to have a lot of fun. This means that his marriage is no longer as enjoyable for him as it was when they first started. The reason were gradually presented to us throughout the film in different conversations. The messages that Bob's wife sends him have been about nothing but mundane subjects, such as asking him to pick from a number of color swatches of burgundy for the carpet of his room in the U.S., A number of times, his wife also cuts him off or leaves him hanging when they're having a phone conversation. We can focus our attention on just Bob and his wife like we have in the past few episodes. But this is where I think the director has a critique on a larger issue, which is the overemphasis on material and on consumption. See, Whenever Bob's wife talks to him over the phone, it's either about Bob forgetting to pay attention to a certain events, or it's about reminding Bob to buy something. She's so fixated on getting just the right color for Bob's room in the US that she even FedExes him a box full of color swatches. But when Bob opens them, a bunch of them falls onto the floor and they're just different shades of burgundy. Bob, in that scene, looks at these color swatches with little interest, and us, the audience, are left confused as well. When the viewers see this moment on screen, they can't help but feel that this drags on a bit, and it's hard not to feel that this is a superfluous detail that doesn't have to be here and it doesn't add much to the movie. As we progress through the plot along with the two characters, though, we begin to learn the significance of scenes like this. Everything around these two characters are commodified. Bob's job is about pushing products. He's here to endorse a local Japanese whiskey brand because he's a famous American actor. And 
what Shara's husband does in Japan is in the same spirit. He's come all the way to Tokyo to promote a local rock and roll band by shooting fancy photos for them. And all he talks about outside of work are different brands of body deodorant and fancy restaurants. Many times we can see that he's having just a blast chatting away with his friends, whereas Charlotte, sitting in the same table, is looking entirely disinterested and disengaged from the whole conversation. This obsession with finely categorized material possession permeates through the entire movie if we pay close attention. When Charlotte walks out of her hotel room to tour across Japan, what she sees is a mixture of the many sides of Japan. She sees the beautiful traditional shrines. She sees women dressed in kimono or the Japanese dress who try their hands on ikebana, the art of placing flowers. She also sees a young couple going through a traditional wedding ceremony. All very picturesque, and I'd argue all fit in the mold of how Japan is traditionally portrayed on mainstream media. But outside of these images, um, we also follow Charlotte's footsteps and see a lot of other things. Right after she enters the subway for the first time, she sees a young man who incidentally is standing right next to her that reading a pornographic comic book. Later on, when she walks into a video game parlor, she sees a large number of young men dressed in postmodern clothes with fancy haircuts, smoking and smashing away on video game consoles. This is what Japan is in the modern day. It is a constantly changing and morphing and rather uncomfortable mixture of both the old and the new. There are people who still hold on to the older traditional values, but more and more Japanese, especially the younger generation, are embracing Western culture and modern identities. Now, it's hard to argue whether one is definitely better than the other. Uh, that will certainly be a discussion for a separate day. But what we can see is that this transition has turned Japan more and more like America. The center of Tokyo has the same neon lights as the Times Square in New York City, and both characters as well as the ensemble of cast are constantly engulfed by the large billboards and commercials playing on TV, on the street, and, and permeating in the city's landscape. I think the director, Sofia Coppola, through making this film, not only tells us a love story, it also tells us how helpless and isolated people can be when they live in an entirely commercialized environment. This environment is, in this movie's case, Tokyo, Japan, but because at the end of the movie we can clearly see that it is so similar to the many and many metropolitans around the world, this isn't uniquely a Japanese problem. This is a problem that all of us, just like the characters, have to face in the modern world. Thank you so much for listening to Lights Camera Asia. This is the final episode on our discussion on uh, loss in translation. Like I said um, earlier in this episode, this is easily one of my top 10 favorite movies because not only does it tell a story beautifully, it also addresses the many issues that we as people in the modern age face. 
So for those of you who haven't seen it, I strongly recommend you to see it or to rent it at any available platform. Thank you very much again for listening to this mini-series. And next week, we are going to shift our attention to Hong Kong, an outlying island of China, and we're going to see a series of television shows that have grown to be quite popular in recent months. It is called Hong Kong West Side Story, and it tells the many stories and tales of challenges that average Hong Kong citizens, that average residents in Hong Kong face every day. I have a feeling that this is going to be a fun series. So I look forward to talk to you next time. For Lights Camera Asia, I'm Jake Chan. Talk to you then.